Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place to meet some new friends, have some great conversations, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm your host, Isaac Levin. And if you're enjoying the interviews here, be sure to like, subscribe, or follow wherever you are watching or listening. Also, if you're interested or know any folks that would be interested in coming on and chatting, feel free to reach me on Twitter. My handle there is Isaac R. Levin. All right, so with that, let's get started. I got my coffee today, and I want to talk to my guest. So today, I'm excited for our conversation because my conversation today is with Amy Lewis. Amy, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself. Hi, great to see you. Great to meet everybody out there. I feel I, I unfortunately, because we're in different time zones, I polished off my tea earlier today and left the mug downstairs. So it's major okay. guest faux pas. Right. There's, 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 al there's always time for more caffeine, even if it is early afternoon. Always time for more caffeine. <laughs> Awesome. So let's get right into it. So Amy, I'd love to kind of get, if you don't mind, your, your origin story and how you got started in tech. You know, so a lot of our guests, they've, you know, depending on when they got started, you know, they got the, the CDs in the mail or maybe their uh, parents brought a computer home or maybe they even bought one in a store. You know, do you have a particular origin point for your career in tech and how you got started? I think I, I have a couple. I, I would take it all the way back. I'm old school. So uh, when the Brontosaurus nice. uh, roamed the earth, um, I got a Commodore 64 for my birthday. And I, I you know, my parents thought it was going to rot my brain out. So I convinced <laughs> sure. them to get the Commodore instead because they weren't going to get me an Atari. So I got the Commodore. I got a couple games, but they also bought me a basic, a book of basic programming. So I taught myself some basic programming, learned my way around computers, sort of the things that you couldn't see. I always joke, my brother's a mechanical engineer. He's very good with things. Anything he can see, he can fix. Sure. And everything kind of conceptual, I had the other half. Like we're of the same genetic pool, but the other side of anything that was conceptual. So the world of computers, he was like, no, thank you. Not at all. And mm. I'm like, I, I don't want to be touching and fixing things. That's not for me. I'm for what's in the virtual space. So that was sort yeah. of step one, right? And um, and then I, I went on, went to college, got an English poli-sci degree. So not really computer related, kind sure. of stepped off the STEM track, was started out in chemistry, but moved more to a, a broader liberal arts background. And then I landed in publishing. So my degrees landed me in a publishing house where I was easily the most technical person in the room. And because I worked at a, at a sub company to the, the mothership, there was no IT support. And we were just getting started uh, where everybody had a computer. So I became on-site tech support because I was the only one who was not afraid you know, to make the computers blow up. And I had to reboot a server that was literally in a server closet. Oh man. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I was back, I was back, right? And Honestly, from there, I, I did a lot of, I built their websites, I did online marketing and I got, I, it pulled me back in. So I was doing online before social kind of existed. I was doing community building um, on PHP BB sites, oh, right? Man. This was way back in the day. That's awesome. And then, then I went back, you know, I had a, a, a moment, I had two kids, I wanted to sort of pivot in my career and um, went to an incredibly talented career counselor who said, I, you know, I don't usually do this, but I've taken this battery of tests. He goes, I think you should go work for Cisco. 
And, you know, I live in North Carolina. There was a big Cisco um, part of HQ was here in RTP. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm not technical. He's like, they need people who can translate. And that's what got me started. And I've been there ever since. Yeah, it's it's funny, like the the need to translate. I, I kind I love that phrase because I'd imagine as you're going through and doing these things, turning servers off, building web pages, um, amongst non technical folks, they they probably treated you as a form of some form of wizardry, right, or witchcraft. <laughs> yes. Like yes. how? But how can you do this? Like how can you like you type in some things, this unreadable text onto some editor, and then it makes like this cool thing on the web page? Like how do you do that? And they tried to explain to them, their eyes roll over, and they just whistle and walk away, right? <laughs> I I mean it's it is it's always interesting having conversations with folks that are not technical because it's such a huge black box to them. And now with technology, like everybody's got a phone and everybody kind of just has like this technology is a commodity thing and they don't really understand like all of the, the nuts and bolts. Like to be honest, I'm in technology. I don't even understand how most of the nuts and bolts work. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's like that level of, um, I guess the cliff is so, is so deep, right. Or, Or so whatever the word is but yeah like you step off of it and it's just all the way down and like the learning curve is so sharp for some folks um and i think there's yeah, fear but, right yeah i think that part of it is maybe there was a fearlessness because i wasn't told if you don't look down you can fly right sure. so yeah. um because i started so early because i wasn't told i couldn't because nobody ever thought i wouldn't be able to understand or comprehend this i I understood it in my own layperson way. And yeah. I often joke that Rosetta Stone between geek and, and you know, the average person, it, it can be, to your point, it can be a very wide gulf and people are afraid to cross it um, or they other, you know, they want their technology to work. They want to understand. They, they almost yeah. want it to stay magical, but they want it to stay over there somewhere. Yeah. So I think one of the, one of my favorite parts is unlocking, taking people's fear levels down and connecting, connecting groups because they are more connected than they think. So bridging those gaps between um, a complex technical idea and somebody's need to understand it so they can move forward with their business. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a lot of folks that are, I guess, more visible, like they're on social, te- uh, you know, more technology-based social networks and they're vocal in technology spaces like, you know, tech Twitter or GitHub or what have you. Um, they, we all kind of had the same affinity, right? Like this, this need to feel included in a community. I think that's really what it really boils down to. And I think just based on what you said, like community building is a critical aspect of what you feel like your passion is. So what was it about community building specifically that got you really excited, especially in the tech space? Um, I think it was in some ways, the concepts of community building are true, no matter what the community is that you're building Mm -hmm. people to your point people you want to rally around a cause and too often again not to start with the negative but in some ways i i see the the negative space before i think of the positive space so people people do want to connect so why not let people connect on something that's safe and positive and inclusive and welcoming um because the alternative can be toxicity and people kind of battling each other um no good comes out of that so i think i've always been drawn Um, And one of my first community building experiences, I was very new into technology and just got thrown in the deep end of the pool 
but was grateful to have some guides, some mentors. And, and they taught me, right. If you can fit in here, you can help other people fit in too. And I think that's part of why I'm so passionate about it as well is somebody opened the door for me. So I want to open the door for other people. And like I said, the basics are, you know, you find the rallying point, you, you share what the cause is, you give people ways to contribute and you thank people, you know, consistently and, and see if they'll bring somebody else in. Community is a big Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And when it works great, it, um, it brings everybody in. Are we trying to make Ponzi scheme be a positive thing? <laughs> like, I think that's, pro- I think that's, I mean, I totally agree. Right. Or, you know, it's a, what is it? MSM, like mainstream marketing, like your, I'm not going to mention any brands because my <laughs> search history will be ruined for the rest of my life if I say it out loud. But I think like to your point, like it very much is like building this pyramid of, yeah. of, I guess, you know, it's like, it's networking, but it's networking with purpose. Like, yes. cause I think networking yes. in general, like is great, but a lot of people take networking as a, a, um, a selfish act, right? How right. do I, how can I get a job? How can I make more money? How can I get introduced to this particular individual? Right. And I think the flip side of that, to your point is community building is networking with a purpose because the goal is to, you know, to use your opening doors for other people, your, your analogy, or the more cliche one, which is like standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, it's all about like the next generation of folks that are coming into this space. They're going to have substantially different experiences than us. So we need to set them up with success using, you know, the anecdotes that we have so they can maybe avoid some pitfalls that we've, you know, created ourselves over the last, you know, few years in this particular area, right? So what was it like, obviously this interest in community building, um, stuck with you and you, you, when did you find an opportunity to start doing it as a part of your career? Well, like I said, it's funny. We, if we go back to publishing, um, because I was developing online communities, then there were a couple of book products that we had one around grilling of all things and one around baking cakes from a mix. Um, and doctoring them, not to give Mm -hmm. too much brand naming away myself, but these two properties had a big following. And so the publishing house I was with was very creative and very, um, but not a lot of experience in this new digital world. And I could see that the community had in some ways already formed. They just needed a place to land. And so it was a lot of fun. It was a sandbox to play in, to see how to connect people and to give them the space where platform maybe had been an inhibitor before, um, creating platform and allowing them to, to gather, right. And using all yeah. the different tools to, to sort of show shared interest, create contests. There's like seven tools. I always joke, there's probably only three methodologies in any marketers, um, toolkit. It's just how you apply them. So yeah. applaud those methodologies. So again, fast forward, did a lot of traditional marketing then initially, whenever I came into technology, but all that experience was on my shoulders, right? And the the day came where I got I got a project because I, I like to joke it's because one of my first bosses was French. And sure. being able to work in the international tech community, um, there was a big event that was happening in August. And anyone who's ever had a French boss understands that they're gonna be on vacation in August. Sure. So the project is now yours, Amy. You're new in the role, you've got you know this one opportunity. And so that's when I I jumped in and got to do it. However, I saw fit, which was, again, bring yeah. all this experience kind of from traditional community building. Um, that 
it was just, it was just such an open space opportunity because I could yeah. see that all these people, particularly in technology, not to stereotype, but oftentimes people are very heads down working, lots of hardworking, yep. lots of strong work ethic, sometimes maybe a little more introverted, um, eager to connect on work, but harder to connect in those more social ways. And so the unlock was give people that platform again, give them the shared space that's safe where you're kind of doing that extroversion work for them so they can just link into it. And then the magic happens, right? Kind of create the space, create the topic, and then step back and get out of the way. Because I joke, I'm introverted, but in a room of like more hardcore introverts, I seem very outgoing. Sure. So <laughs> All you yeah. need is just a little bit of a little bit of juice and it gets things started. I've been saying this for a long time, right? Like if you have, and this isn't to knock anybody in, in tech, and I don't mean it to be, but if you have, I guess, above average social skills, or if you have above average um like willing EQ, like right? yeah, yeah, EQ, like extrovert extrovertism, not saying being yeah. an extrovert, <laughs> but right. like having some extrovert qualities, right? I, I do believe in typically people can, are both. Like, I don't believe that you're either an extrovert or an introvert. I think it's really use yeah. case based. Um, like in a situation where if you're around people that are like-minded, you're going to be substantially more interested in talking. Hence, yes. like why tech conferences are such a big deal. You can't assume yes. that everybody's at a tech conference is an extrovert because that's not realistic. But they all have a passion and they all want to figure out ways to be a part of a community like you were mentioning earlier, right? So they might force themselves or they might feel more comfortable to kind of get out of their own skin. But back to what I'm saying, like, it's very interesting that if you have any sort of like disposition to those skills, you also, you immediately have a leg up in marketing activities, advocacy activities, community building activities. And I mean, I'm not saying that eventually you have the opportunity to become tech celebrity or anything like that, but you have the opportunity to being known as a subject matter expert in the areas that you find interesting, which I think is a goal for a lot of people that are doing those sort of things. Well, and I love your point too, that nobody is all introverted or extroverted, right? And I think the secret, secretly, many, many marketers are more introverted because it makes us better listeners, yeah. right? If that, if that energy, if you're, if how you gain your energy is to kind of, to be introspective, to maybe read, consume, research, um, those are great qualities and a marketer uh, because you don't have to hold all the space in the room. And to your point, you can grow your subject ma matter expertise by listening. And I think that's one of the great secrets of community development as well. And one of the great parts of being about a community, uh, you know, either guiding community or just being a member of the community is how much you learn almost by osmosis, right? Which is the point you think anyone would want to join a community is to learn from each other, not just to share, but to learn. And I think that is kind of the other big secret of the, the classic two ears, one mouth. You know, when, you, when you're thinking about establishing community, yeah. that listening time is so important. It, so you just said something and I immediately feel like uh, I've been called out as a fraud. Um, like you, <laughs> you, you said that marketing people love to, love to listen and they don't need to be the last voice in the room. I'm in marketing and I am the loudest voice in the room at all point in time. And I never <laughs> let people stop, never let people an opportunity to say what they want to say. It's always them listening and me just talking nonstop. <laughs> so I found out just from this conversation that I have an area of growth, right? Maybe stop talking as much. Um, cool. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> 
I think that there is something to say too about you have to be able to listen as well as so I'm going to take a roundabout way of saying this, but so when we typically are listening, we're either listening in two ways. We're listening as a two, how can I take what they're saying and turn it back into what my narrative is and how I want to be able to do it? That's like a very type A thing, right? And then there's another thing where you're actually building empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're listening and you're understanding and you're trying to, and you're figuring out a way to empathize with that person because they have a, a differing opinion or maybe they're telling you about something that you might not know, right? And I think there needs to be a happy balance of those two things. So my... My thought being of when we're listening, we need to be very careful as to not over-empathize because for the most part, we're experts or we, you know, we've gone to a point in our career because our opinion does matter and we just don't want to be rolled over. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't want to roll people over. We don't want to say, well, that idea isn't that great. My idea is substantially better because I came up with it and I'm the single source of truth for things. So there is this happy medium of like how we can you know, effectively listen and collaborate, right? Because everybody, there needs to be some take and some give in a conversation. If you just get continual, if you're, you know, maybe this is some career coaching, but if you're constantly in meetings and your ideas, you're given the opportunity to speak, which I think is very, very important. A lot of people don't get that opportunity even. But when you're given the opportunity to speak, your your thoughts are maybe downplayed. Maybe there's someone that's quote unquote to you say louder in the room. There needs to be some reckoning. You need to be able to make people aware that I'm not might not be 100% right on this, but I'm seeing something and whether it's me not understanding or me being correct, like it needs to be addressed at least for my personal growth. Right? And I'd love to get your thoughts on how do we do better in that realm? Because to your to your point earlier, like a lot of tech folks and people that um, have chose technology career, they're most likely introverted. They most likely don't have like a lot of those squishy, really squishy skills that like really good listeners have. Uh, I know I'm guilty of it a lot at times. Like, how do we do better in that sense? Is it a training thing? Is it a uh, you know focusing more on the empathy part? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, great question. Couple, Loaded couple question too. There. Yeah, yeah. No, a, a couple thoughts there. I think there are there's a bimodal kind of listening approach, and I joke that there are times of um, when you talk about, you know, needing to get your point across, but also active listening, but getting your uh, point across, I think of a salesperson who once taught me the phrase, the art of letting you have my way, um, yeah. which I think is brilliant. So in some ways, the uh, the partnership between sales and marketing is as strong as ever. And uh, take one out of the sales playbook there of sometimes listening is the art of letting you have my way. Um, yeah. So I'm eventually going to feed my own ideas back in. Um, for the second part, I think... Um, one of the most powerful tools I've used as a marketer is in the listening, you can prove out your point, both with data and with the anecdotals. And when you mm-hmm. get close to the customer, you're always going to win that argument. So when your idea is backed with the interest of the customer at heart and in hand, then you're always going to be more powerful. So to that end, I would even take away this concept. And then I, totally get what you're saying in terms of soft skills and hard skills, because some of that I think becomes gendered and some of it becomes like an assumption of somebody walks in the room with a different set of skills. I think everybody can develop and build um, any number of these skills. One tool I've used in the past is improv training. 
um, because it forces you to listen and everybody's uncomfortable because none of us are comedians. Um, sure. So it's it, a, a great leveling exercise. Um, but I think to emphasize that EQ and the ability to communicate are business skills. And I do yes. have hopes and I see in our next generation, I have two kids, one is coming of college age. And they said the things that you should come out of college with now, um, it's less about the hard degree and more about can you crunch data and like get results from it? And can you present? And I thought that was really interesting that the kids these days have been yes. doing PowerPoint or Google Slides, yeah. you know, since since we even knew what a computer was, right? Like it's it's amazing what the next gen is going to be able to do. So I think this conversation will sound incredibly different in five years because there yes. will be a baseline expectation that we all understand people have different skill sets, right? And my major may be your minor, and mm -hmm. that's going to be a great partnership than if we work together. But I think that this understanding that it is a valuable skill and shouldn't be dismissed. So calling it a soft skill um, in some ways starts to have that, you know, yep. language of dismissal. Whenever we think of it as a baseline of this is how we do business. And this is important. You don't have to be great at it, but if you're not great at it, recognize you might need help in a partner with somebody who is, and don't demean that their skill set in that area is stronger. They may not be the implementer you are or the coder you are, but may they may bring this other thing to the table that amplifies and lifts us all up. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for calling that out, like the hard skill versus scoff skill and there being some um, some con negative connotations with that. Like that's, I've really, literally never thought about that. So, I mean, I really appreciate that because, because I don't also, I also don't think a soft skills is a negative. Like yeah. I think soft skills, in my opinion, are substantially more important than like technical skills. I had a, um, a manager one point in my career say, I can give you a book and teach you how to be a developer. I can't teach you how to have conversations with customers, have mm -hmm. conversations with sales, have conversations with marketing. I can't do that. Like you either have those skills, you can build on them possibly like you can do things like Toastmasters or you can do um, those sort of trainings. But at the end of the day, like you either have those skills or interest in, in building those skills or you don't. And it's okay. It's totally fine. You just have to put yourself in positions where you don't have to exercise those skills as much. Um, he also says something that I thought was really, really interesting about that customer empathy thing and how in tech, you, sometimes that's a challenge. I, I jokingly say that a lot of folks, and this is not to disparage our folks that work more in engineering-based roles or product-based roles, but when you have customer research, typically what ends up happening is you're talking to like the best possible customer you can be talking to, right? Right. right. And uh, as somebody who has worked in consulting and customer-facing and been in an office when people are not happy, um, you know, there is a ton of empathy that you learn from those experiences, Right. Like no customer is ever going to scream at a project manager or a program manager for some product unless it's really, really bad. They'll yell at the salesperson first or the person that are in front of them in, in their own office. So building that level of customer empathy and understanding that the customer, even though they might not be 100% accurate in how they're doing something, they're still trying to solve a problem. So whether it's yes. a training thing or if it's a product defect or whatever it is, you have the opportunity to build that empathy because they just want to get the job done because more than likely technology is not their core competency, right? And I think that's a lot of, thing, a lot of area that's missed, especially when you get into like really deep tech, like 
uh, cloud or um, some of these native technologies that exist, like the tech companies have been built on, there's an assumption because, hey, we're experts in this space. Our customers that use these tools also are experts in this space. And I think one of the things that we can do better in tech is maybe building this empathy. It's like, hey, maybe everything isn't easy for everybody. Like I'm yes. very vocal about the word easy is like the worst word possible. Right? It is. Because it means something different for everybody. And it's to your point, like it's gatekeeping and it's all these other terrible phrases. Um, so how do we build customer empathy with folks that aren't customer facing? How do we talk? How do we figure out ways to enable those conversations? Is it more talking with sales and field and folks like that? Is it going directly to customers in, in non-traditional ways? You know, in your opinion, like how do we do better at building that sort of empathy? Um, what a great question. And in some ways, the backbone of my career. Um, I'm a huge advocate of either a customer advisory board. And again, spent half of my tech career on the more than half on the vendor side. So sure. trying to sell into people. And now lately, I'm on the customer side. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a tour of duty almost everybody should do as well, right? Yeah. So that you can see things. So a few things, to your point, getting out in the community at large, doing some listening, committing to it. Um, if you don't want to be on Twitter, go start an account and listen on Twitter. Yeah. And I used to, I used to say, say that to salespeople as well. If you want the quickest market research and the most unvarnished truths and maybe people's best yes. and worst days, just set up and listen to your own hashtags or listen to somebody mm -hmm. talk about you because what they won't say to your face, they will be more than happy to share with the world behind your back. So go take a listen and get a little humbled. Um, I think in a more structured way, setting up a customer advisory board. And if you don't have customers yet, or you want even more kind of direct feedback, set up a slight difference, but technical advisory board. So these might be prospects. These might be people that are a little further outside your reach. These may be people that are known in the industry, people that have a little distance. So if you don't have a customer pull your early in startup phase, or you feel like you have such a, a set set of customers that you're not able to kind of get outside that, to use that Shawshank rebellion uh, term, the institutionalized, which I think we all fall prey to, how do we shake those blinders off our eyes? then I would say a cab with customers or a tab with technical advisory board. It is going to be so worth your time, especially in a world where maybe these in-person events aren't happening and you have to be more um, thoughtful and intentional. Build the time and space, do this virtually. But even if you're looking into their virtual eyes, like open the space where it's safe for people to give you very direct feedback and say thank you and absorb it. Um, don't push back against it. And I think that's a time to take people from all walks of the engineering program, honestly, yeah. not just product development, product um, management, but also people deep engineers and make sure that they are, um, are they willing to use their own product? Because that's a, a couple of times in my life where I've had these aha moments. And uh, I worked at a sandwich uh, at a coffee house and I was making sandwiches and the sandwich was beautiful. And I was putting this spicy mustard on the sandwich and a layer that like, it could have been on a magazine. It was so beautiful. And this guy, thankfully, very directly came back and he's like, have you tasted how spicy this mustard is? And I was like, well, yeah, oh, when no. I put a dab on my own and he's like, yes, he goes, so this looks incredible. And I know they've got like the how-to he's, but this is so spicy because it's got the look, but it's too much mustard on this sandwich. And it was such a 
moment that stayed with me of like, are you consuming your own end product? And the the yeah. second one, the second one was when I was first building websites, there was such a temptation because I was so much more technically savvy than the people who were doing this to watch them as they use the pages, as I put things up in, in testing environments and watch them use it and navigate to tell them, no, 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 go there. And it really hit me like, my job was to sit there and watch them in dead yeah. silence because I was not going to be there navigating the website. I don't care mm -hmm. how little experience yeah. they've had. I don't care if I couldn't make it useful for the person, the most inexperienced user, then that website might not as, it might as well not exist. They're sure. not going to use it. And it may seem so obvious, but it took a couple of real punches in my face, if you will, to make me yeah. go, I'm not always the audience. How do I hear the audience? How do I experience it? And I think that in companies, we have to find strategic ways to force everybody, if they mm -hmm. don't have it in their job description or in their daily life, to find ways for people to hear or experience it themselves, right? You yeah. think this is a great feature? You go use it. And no, you can't have the cheat codes. And no, you can't. Yeah. You go try it as yeah. is, as delivered. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there are a ton of, a ton of great pieces of, of, of content there that you just said, like the having to dog food, your own stuff, uh, is really, really important. Right. But like, it's not even, it's even, it's one step past dog food. Right. Cause you, cause you're right. If you're an engineer who wrote the feature or wrote the product or you own the product, you're going to know all of the little things to avoid. Right. It's almost like you need to figure out some blind taste test. Right. Yes. Like, like, I mean, and I know that's extremely challenging in tech, but maybe it's external peer reviews. Like you have a, a team that's not affiliated with you at all. We don't work together at all. Maybe we're in the same organization, but we don't know what's going on. We don't know this new thing that you're building. Ha you know, put me in a room for an hour, test driving this feature. I can't talk to anybody from product. If I have issues, I document them and just see what the results are. And I bet a lot of folks are surprised, would be surprised in knowing that even highly technical folks still can have problems kind of navigating new products if they're not configured in a way or uh, designed in a way for user experience that doesn't match that particular person, right? And again, you might get a, a whole range of different pieces of feedback, but I think in general, what you really want is like, what's this going to look like when it lives in the wild? Are people going to enjoy it? Are they not going to enjoy it? What are some of the things that immediately folks are going to figure out? Um, I don't know if that if the phrase is is accurate anymore. I, I've always heard like the gorilla proofing. Like I've heard that mm. where it's like, oh, like just assume that someone comes in, just smashes the keyboard until mm -hmm. things stop working. Um, I don't know if that's still a common phrase anymore. I've, I've heard it in my career. But it's really about trying to figure out, again, it's not that you don't you want things to be pixel perfect and things to always work, right? But you do want to set your users up for success because that's at the end of the day that's what's going to drive, you know, revenue, profit, awareness, clicks, whatever your metrics are that you care about. Um, and because the I've last thing business, you want is good. Well, I've heard business books often talk about, um, and another application of this is executive inoculation is the phrase that I've heard, and it's oh, okay. when you become distant from kind of your surroundings. So it's, it's number one, I would say in our lingo, it's a, a reason that you have UX and design, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you get so distance 
And the the example the the book gave is, you know, a few, and not at all in a political sense, but you know, a few a few presidents back when this book was sure. written, the president didn't know what the cost of a gallon of milk was. Yeah. And you think, oh my gosh, how could you be so so out of touch? But then you think, oh my gosh, you're not allowed to drive, right? You are not permitted <laughs> yeah. to go to the grocery store. Even, even if you bought a gallon of milk in 30 it. years, yeah. Right, yeah, right. It's crazy. And it's such a great example. And I always use that with my team of like, are you, do you, are you experiencing executive inoculation for some reason? Because your team all has groupthink to your point. Like this is, you know, it's a, in some ways it's a reason for diversity. It's a reason mm -hmm. for um, cross team programming. It's a reason for, is a reason for open source projects and like letting a community kind of experience something. And I always think of that meme. I'm sure you've seen it a million times too, of it's like a piece of concrete or it's a, a you know, a grass patch and a concrete path. And it's got the engineer's design yeah. mm -hmm. and the user experience is like cutting through the grass. Cut right straight. through, make a trail. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I think, I think this to me is where marketing owes engineering and owes the business mm. practice that is it's back to the whole two-way street like if we spend all our time blasting out and mm -hmm. not time creating mechanisms for listening and and truly understanding what needs we're serving then we're not filling our full our true marketing destiny if you will sure. because sometimes people will tell us things that they can't get to the engineer in the very back of the house to tell Right. So yeah, there's a million methodologies, but I think yeah. you have to choose some of them depending on the size of your business, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And for me, community and many different avenues starts to deliver on that promise. So say it's a, say it's a, maybe it's an advocacy or an influence program. That'd be another way, you know, yes. Are you trying to set people up to be, you know, influencers and sort of market on your behalf? Yes, but when you do your programs right, you you ask the doubters and the people who've said terrible things sure. about your product and you bring them in too and you ask them if you, you know, if I could have some of your time, will you please tell me why you think this is broken? What a gift. Yeah, man, there's so much good stuff in there. I think one thing that I want to stress as well that I think uh, like the executive inoculation thing, I think that's brilliant. I, I think I'm going to carry that with me for a while. I think one opportunity that's a, that's missed a lot in not just in tech, but in general when you have products is that every time you hire someone, you have a really important opportunity. And that opportunity is you have unbiased, an opportunity to collect unbiased feedback. And that's that ends, right. I don't know how your when you've joined new companies and your career uh, uh, onboarding has worked at, at times, but it's very much, here's all of our stuff, become an expert in all of our stuff. And I think that there needs to be a, a, an effort to, okay, you're new, here's the stuff, here's all the public information about it, can you learn how to use it? Uh, yes. You know, And I think that's one thing that a lot of companies will just fall down on. Like, I've had times in my career where I've joined a company and my first day, you know, my boss gave me a list of the, oh, these are all the, you know, these are all the docs you need to read and all the GitHub repos you need to take a look at. And here's our, you know, org manifesto and all these sort of things. And instead, I didn't do that. And this is me being a bad employee. Instead, 
I would literally go to the company website and follow the path, the getting started path or the I'm a developer and I'm trying to do something. Please help me software company or please help me company. And if I get lost, I just write it down. If I, if I got confused, I'd write it down. If things didn't work how I would expect as a technical person who, you know, I'm not the best developer, but I feel like I can figure stuff out pretty quickly, I'd write it down. And then I went to my boss and I said, I just tried the getting started experience and this was my experience. And the feedback that they gave me, I was not super thrilled about. Let's just be 100% clear. I think they were more looking for, we want you to be a part of the team, not come in with a bunch of changes. And in my head, I totally respect that point of view. But I think when we start to build these teams internally, like you said, of subject matter experts, and uh, you, you, it's a lot of gatekeeping. It's way too much gatekeeping. Because back to our conversation a bit earlier, the assumption is, if I know how to do it, you know how to do it because you want to use it. And we'll provide you some yeah. docs. We'll provide you a repo with maybe some starting scripts or whatever your use case may be. But the assumption is, is that you know how to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, we have support options. There's online communities that can help you. But like, you're also dumb for not being able to figure it out. <laughs> right, and right, that's, but also, and, yeah. yeah. And that's like, I mean, it's not the best way to engage with your audience, right? And in this scenario that I just mentioned, like the audience is somebody who wants to join the team, is excited to join the team. So, so I think that there is some opportunity to even figure out different ways to onboard folks. And I imagine a lot of companies are probably doing this. I, I haven't had the opportunity to do that quite yet in my career. Um, like at that scale of like, hey, we want you to figure out where all of our customer pain points is day one. Because at this point in time, you're a customer because you haven't figured it all out yet. Um, maybe you've done some research on the company or maybe you're familiar with the technology. But at the end of the day, the expectation is you are the person that's going to be contacted by the customer or by the community member or whatever, right? So there's a ton of opportunity there to, again, build this empathy of your end user, build this empathy of folks that are actually going to use your product. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters, right? If people don't use right. the product, they'll find another product and your company will eventually not be the way you want it to be, right? And I love what you said that because that's um, when you said there's an implication that the customer then is just dumb if they don't know how to use the product. Yeah. That is, I appreciate you bringing that out because I think too often that is a buried secret that and having sat on both vendor side and customer side, it's so interesting to watch this dynamic. And it, it's a, you know, shame on us. It's a, it's a technology challenge. I think that we have to overcome that smartest person in the room syndrome. And mm -hmm. you, you could be right and also out of business. <laughs> and yeah. I think back to um, uh, one of the books, I cannot remember at now which one it was. I was reading a series of them together, but there was a, it was a discussion about doctors and their bedside manner. And the oh, study- I'm going to love this. Okay. The, Go ahead. The, Sorry. The study that came out was um, that you did not necessarily have to have the best outcomes. They did the mm -hmm. data, right? Mm -hmm. You did not have to have the best outcomes to be sued the least amount of times. You sure. had to have the best bedside manner. So it was so much more about how you made someone feel than even like you would think, oh my gosh, it's going to be the most people that lived, the most people yeah. that walked again, yeah. the most people sure. that, you know, got their appendix out, whatever it was. 
No, it was absolutely how the doctor made the person feel, even if they mm -hmm. weren't quote unquote, the best doctor. And I think it's something we lose in technology and it's back to the, why it's so important to have those listening feedback mechanisms, why it's so important to have that humility, why it's so important to have those feedback loops. Because if you treat your customers like they're dumb, eventually it's not a winning, it's not a winning strategy. You have to build in success. And the fact, even that we call it end users, like that's yeah. one of the things about my current role <laughs> users, that I yeah. love, I love is that everybody um, we serve as an athlete, which yes. is, um, so it makes sense. Currently I'm at Dick's Sporting Goods and, and the, the way we talk about the quote unquote end user is as an athlete. I love yeah. it because it's gender free. I love it because it's not judgmental. Um, yeah. And people yeah. joke with me and they're like, Amy, I just want to buy a Yeti cooler, you know, to go on my camping oh, trip. Yeah. Am I an you're athlete? A camp like, camping athlete. You're yes, an athlete. athlete. Right. yes, you yes, are. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Amy, you're it speaking my language. Things. Like the, the, the one thing too that I really, really loved about what you just said is that we do like there are all these phrases that are built into our culture that you know end user again never really thought about it until you just said like it's really like it's not the end like these things are supposed and to be circles like drug user none of it yeah. sounds great also right? it's true yes <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah and honestly like the thing is that it's like the perfect way to like describe things because it's like the end of the line I guess, but the end of the line is, is the worst thing ever. Anyway, you also said something with your, you know, your doctor anecdote. Yep. There is nothing more important than customer service. There's like in the doc, in the medical space, customer service, bedside manner is in my opinion, the number one skill set. Like we've all watched doctor shows on TV. Like the doctors <laughs> that have really, really good bedside manner are usually the more likable doctors. Or oh, yeah. you know, if, if they're the most attractive doctors physically, that's also probably the right. reason why they're most interesting. But like usually if, if they're kind and approachable and they don't seem cold or are the opposite of approachable, I can't think of it, distant, they're typically not liked by the, like, by the people watching or by the audience. And I love the fact that we talk about customer service. Like, it doesn't always have to be like the best possible outcome. How many times in our lives have we had like a horrible experience, right? Like with a company or with a personal matter and you had to deal with somebody to solve your problem. And I know I'm guilty of it where I tend to like put a lot of the blame on the person I'm talking to. Yep. I made a change in my life where I was going to be more empathetic for those people because honestly, like to your point, they're the frontline person and they just get yelled at all day long, right? So when you talk about customer service, you, the goal of customer service should be to give the person the best possible outcome if they can't empathize with them. So like if, you know, in, here's an example, right? I've had to deal with like, uh, as a part of COVID, like travel issues, right? And I've been far more happy, I guess you could say. My user sentiment has been positive to use a market term. Um, if the person has, has empathized with me, tried to help me, maybe they can't because of either something I did wrong or just a, a flaw in the system, I am much more comfortable being okay, I can move on from this than from another customer service experience where somebody says, well, that's the policy. 
Right. And I'm like, right. well, the policy is trash. And I think everybody agrees <laughs> that the policy is trash. So make my situation better. I don't know. I don't talk to people like that because I don't think it's it's healthy for me. Um, but I, <laughs> but, but the thought bubble. The thought yes, bubble exactly. Is, yeah. Right. I'll be texting my wife and I'll be like, this is the worst experience of my entire life. <laughs> right. Like this person. That's, that's yeah. almost the worst, right? Because they've yeah. lost a customer and they don't even know. And I totally get it. You're not going at the person, but the mm-hmm. people they and the training they've put in place yeah. to defend the policy and not consider the experience it's the worst because you're not even telling them the truth, which is this is the worst experience ever. And you're making it worse, right? You're quietly walking away. No, I will say that though, too. I'll say very politely. (laughs) I'll say, just so you know, this experience has not been great. Yeah. If you want me to transfer you to your manager to give you feedback, I will, or you can just, we can just move on. Like I give people the opportunity to correct themselves because I understand when you're in customer service in general, you're under a lot of pressure to solve the problem or get them off the phone as fast as possible, right? Because you got to move on to the next person if you can't solve the problem. Right. Um, that model, in my opinion, is flawed, but that's a different thing. I th- in, but I'll give the person, hey, I know this is extremely challenging. I know you deal with people all day that are not great. I'm going to try to get be, have a better demeanor. And if the opportunity to give you more feedback is valuable, please take me up on that because I'll be honest with you. I do this in over customer service. I also do this when I deal with people in the real world, like, uh, you know, at restaurants or, you know, people checking me out at the store or whatever. Right. Um, uh, probably a lot of people just think that I'm just this huge person. I'm I'm not going to use the word that I'm thinking of because I don't want to swear, but yeah. Right. (laughs) He's like, Oh, like they see me and like this, this person is the worst. Like this person, like they were very nice, but they just had like that aura of just complainer complaining. And I don't like that about me, but I typically do do a lot of that. Um, I kind of got off the the beaten path a little bit back to like this idea of customer service, right? Yeah. Right. Right. If we wear our customer services service hats and to your point, Mm -hmm. this is back to this feedback loop. And yep. one of our challenges in technology is if we get into a place where we get either groupthink or I'm right, I'm the smartest person in the room, then it can be very, um, it can diminish the value of the company. So I always like to, let's trail this all the way out to the impact on sales, right? It's not a sustainable strategy. And if we tie it back to community, if you get people out from the back of the room, maybe maybe they're the only expert in their business on this thing. It can be so easy to get into that single-minded way of thinking. But if companies encourage not not just community within their tech organizations, but cross community, right? Give people time to go to events, give them time to join whatever it is association that sort of feeds that energy, you know, support and reward those behaviors. Then you get the benefit of, you know, you may be the last person who has expertise on mainframe and your company, but the other 30 people in the company that still are in the world that still have mainframe expertise, let them get together because then yeah. they can shape and mold each other's thinking. And so I've always thought that whenever companies try to lock down and keep people kind of inculcated in their own culture, um, as opposed to connecting them through community and connecting them with a the broader world, they're they're losing out. Yet mm-hmm. yet one more book of um, I love uh, super bosses where, you know, it's, it's that concept of, I don't have to hold you. I'm not building myself up by stuffing you underneath me and not letting you go pass through, go to another company, bring in another company, because the more we sort of circulate and connect 
and think of technology as this broader community, the more we all succeed actually. And these, yeah. these weird gatekeeping stoppers that we put on don't serve in the end. It's very true. And also I feel like, you know, to go back to this, this narrative that I've kept on pumping and I don't know if it's valuable or not, but like people will vote with their feet, right? Yeah. To quote, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, employees will, will vote with their feet if they're not enjoying the experience working for that organization anymore. Customers will vote with their feet. Um, shareholders will vote with their feet. Like, I think at the end of the day, like it's very, very important to know that like loyalty only goes so far. So if your organization continues to do things that are, I don't want to say toxic, but it, things that are non-beneficial to all parties, you have a problem. Right. Yep. And I think the companies that are very, very successful today have figured out a way to to balance that, okay, what how what does business decisions that we can make that and how can we spin them? Spin not being a negative term, just spin just mm -hmm. being a, a term, right? How can we change the narrative for it to showcase what we're trying to accomplish and why it's important? Sure, yes. not every single moment is spinnable, right? That's just how life works. But more likely than not, if your mission of your company is to provide some service or better whatever, whatever your company's mission statement is, you have an opportunity to tell folks why you think this is important. You're seeing trends, you're hearing customer feedback, you're maybe figuring out that, hey, we're not making enough money, so we need to pivot to this decision, um, which is totally fine. But if you have that, again, that empathy and you justify your decision in a in, in a polite and uh, in a way full of etiquette people will take it better not to say that yes. everybody will be okay with it like if you raise prices on stuff people are going to be annoyed like that's just how it works but if you justify the reason for your price wage other than we want to increase share price which is the real reason why we're raising prices <laughs> like you have an opportunity to really build that I guess that relationship with your end users that's real, that's long term, because the goal Agreed. is to have relationships that are long term because your business thrives on. There's not a ton of industries out there that, you know, they're short term. I guess I you know I can think of like one or two, but they're very, very they're made in a very very they're built in a very calculated way. It's like yeah, people come in, people come out, people come in, people come out, and never come back. Most, at least in tech, the the goal is to have a customer grow that customer forever, accrue new customers, make as much money as possible from everybody that touches your services. Yes. We don't have the burn rate. We don't have the luxury of that burn rate, right? Yeah. It's not the same as no more Pepsi-Cola. I'm only drinking Coke, right? It's, yeah. it's it can't be that kind of microtransaction. And even they like consider a lifetime value. Oh, I mean, uh, I am team Pepsi forever. <laughs> like when, if I have to drink, if I have to drink a Coke, I mean, I, and it has to be Diet Pepsi. Diet Pepsi, that's the way to go. Diet Coke, I mean, I'll drink a Diet Coke if it's my only option, like if I'm in Atlanta or somewhere like that. But at the end of the day, like I will, I will, I've been known to go to different stores looking for a Pepsi if I can't find a Pepsi. Like, and my wife is like, I, I can't, I can't with you. You're just too, I'm like, I, I, the, it, the, the taste is different. I don't want to subscribe to the taste. I don't. I mean, and this isn't me having a loyalty to the, cus the company. This is loyalty to the addiction, addictive qualities in my brain, right? Like, and that's, I think that's what's really important is that like the company is built 
this product that is so addictive that I can't even fathom the idea of the alternative. So I will go from store to store looking. And that's what you want, right? I, and that's so well said. In some ways, yeah. it supersedes brand. It supersedes yeah. all these other things. You want true loyalty. It's yeah. difficult to come by. And that's what you yeah. want to harness. Yeah. And in tech, especially, like loyalty is, in, it's one of those things that's in, in, extremely challenging to lock in, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, if I don't like the price, if I don't like the service, it'll be painful for me as a company, but I'm going to move on. Uh, and you know, we see it all the time, big, big companies spend millions and millions of dollars moving between, you know, software providers or moving licensing and all these sort of things because they couldn't handle the pain, whether it be cost related or useful related to continue business. Uh, and you know, you don't want to be a company that a big, a large customer moves on from and then decides to write like a a lengthy blog post, for instance, on why we decide to move from here to here. I've been seeing a lot of these blog posts recently. And I'm like, this is really, really painful to read. Like, because I've been in both sides. I've been, I've moved on from vendors in my career as a technologist or a customer. And I've had that conversation where it's like, yeah, we're not going to, we're pulling the plug. Like we're going to write out this support contract and then we're done. And in both cases, it's painful. Yes. I think, you know, one of the things as well as we're, you know, starting to wrap up, you know, I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, so some of the community work that you're actively doing. I would love to kind of hear, you know, I, so to, to um, promote Amy a little bit, she's got some podcasts. If you haven't tuned into those, I'll make sure in the show notes that there's uh, links to her podcast. Um, also just a ton of work just in the community building space. Like, what are some of the things that you're looking at right now um, as figuring out new ways to build community and figure out new ways to captivate audiences? Um, what a what a great question. It's uh, funny. I've been off the road a little bit, you know, yeah. with uh, COVID as putting we all us all, have, yeah. you know, right? Setting us, um, setting us uh, on a new and different path. So I've been thinking some about, you know, what does that virtual community look like? Um, what is the, what is the tech community? How do I want to join the tech community virtually? How do I want to inspire? And I would say in some of my downtime, I've been accused and rightfully so of, um, building some at home community because I spent so Mm. many years on the road. Um, so admittedly I'm a late in life, um, soccer or football player. All Uh, right. And, uh, I, you can tell the community, you can take the girl out of the community, but you can't take the community out of the girl. I don't know which way that goes, but the, um, I moved from being a very new player on my soccer team to being the quote unquote coach. We're old and cranky and it's pickup. Um, so it yeah. really is like a community organizer. So essentially I'm driving the community of uh, these 50 something, uh, 50 or so players from around the world. I'm lucky to live in a very um, diverse, interesting community where a lot of people played their whole life. Um, and there's a few of us just joining in because it's amazing, an yeah. amazing game. Um, So in some ways I've been honing my craft at home, like thinking about what it is that connects people. How do you connect people? What are the activities? What are the events? Uh, Which sounds funny, but I'm practicing the craft, but maybe in a a different way as I consider, you know, what that looks like in the broader tech community and and what I would want to do next. Um, Because the thing that I have found, and it sort of ties to our other conversation, is that you can change companies, you can change roles, but your community stays with you. And I'm a big proponent of don't just build the relationships on, on, 
on sand, right? Find that rock that you're going to build those relationships and those communities on. And I think the best communities of practice kind of supersede the boundaries of company, of level, of role. Like that's where my heart is. I, yeah. I have been watching and listening and seeing, cause I think there's a new generation of communities kind of evolving. Um, and I'm uh, so much, there's interesting things going on in the cloud space. There's interesting things going on in the security space. It's interesting to see what community is forming around in particular um, watching this evolve as, as one group ages up, right. And the next generation comes in and uh, how are, how is this transfer of knowledge happening between um, maybe a more seasoned vintage, as I like to say, generation yeah. and that, that next generation. And because the platforms have changed. So coming from an infrastructure background, it's been really interesting to watch that, you know, that shift from sort of on-prem to, to cloud and how those were two different communities and how do they finally connect. Um, so it's a lot of words. I don't have answers yet, but I'm, I'm in no. a listening and research mode. And again, practicing my craft on the pitch, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. I think also to extracurriculars help us see things from a different lens too. Like, you know, professional, uh, not professional, like, like sports, like leisure sports, like football, soccer, baseball, what have you. Like it's, there's a, so much team building involved because if anybody's watched professional sports, like if the team doesn't gel correctly, it is very enjoyable to watch, but not in a good way. Right. <laughs> and I think like, you know, I've seen, I've seen enough bad football or bad soccer matches to like really respect like how much team building is important as a part of that. And I think, you know, if you watch shows like Ted Lasso, like you see that even to like you double <laughs> down, right? Like the team building and the community and the culture that goes into play there is really, really important. Uh, and I think that's great. And, and to and your I, point about not figuring it out yet, like if you would have figured it out, like it'd already be out and you'd be promoting it and all this stuff, right? Like you exactly. do need an incubation phase, right? Yes. Yes. And I, I like to say, like, I, I do have two teenage daughters and I learn yeah. everything from them, including how to stay hip, which I like to say because it irritates them because that's not at all hip to say hip. Um, so I enjoy saying it ad nauseum. But my my youngest is a goalkeeper and she had a game last night where she had the game, you know, they ended in a tie, but she had the save that kept it from, you know, not ending in a tie. Awesome. And you know, upper 90 save. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the crowd goes crazy. Like it looks so amazing. And she's like, mom, anybody can do that with enough training. Um, she's my coach along with my kids. Yeah. So I'm like, no, as, as much as you teach me, I'm never no. going to be able to do that. And I love that. So I had a post about this and great feedback from the tech community. And they said, Amy, you, maybe you'll learn to fly, but the important part is, can you land? And yeah. I was thinking about that, even yeah. as we uh, were doing this podcast today of, uh, you know, we are all in constant learning mode. And I think the thing I want to assure people and the thing I love about community the most is that if you're not sure you can land, build a community that's going to help you land. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you'll learn how to fly. You can learn that on your own, but trust me when I tell you, you're going to want some help to stick yeah. that landing. It, well, yeah. It, and if you don't, the landing could be quite painful. <laughs> exactly. I mean that that's a great way and as we're wrapping up I want to give you the opportunity to like if there's any additional things you know parting words that you want to say like that was great but if you have anything that you want to add on top of that as well here's your chance um well thank you for the opportunity to be yeah, here of course I um 
if you have the opportunity to join a new community, I sort of joke, I wear it on my arm even. Um, I have a bracelet for me and both my daughters and it's get up, dress up, show up. Um, the good. one who sleeps in has to get up. She has the get up bracelet. The one who loves fashion has the dress up uh, and I've got the show up. So part of my part of my mantra is if you get a chance to show up, even if you're a little more shy like I am, yeah. show up, say yes to the podcast invitation, say yes to the community meetup, say yes to the lunch and learn, uh, whether you're presenting or going to learn. If you have the opportunity, show up. That's great. I, I, I cannot add anything to that. That was great. Um, so as we wrap up the show, I love to ask my guests if they can think of one word to describe the, you know, their opinion, their, I guess their experience in, in tech or IT, open source, the community that's around it. What would that one word be for you? Curiosity. Curiosity. I, I can't disagree more. I can't, I can't agree more. Sorry. <laughs> I can't disagree more because you should not be curious ever. No, obviously I agree with that. That's great. So again, Amy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Uh, for folks tuning in, thank you as well. This has been great. And we'll see you next time on Coffee and Open Source. Take care.